Coast to coast, nonstop action. This is the premier source for National Hockey League news. Scores, highlights, and the Anaheim Ducks. It's time to light the lamp with Alexis Downing. Welcome to Light the Lamp here on Duckstream from the Paul Korea studio. I am your host, Alexis Downey. The first full week of December is here and we're getting into the swing of the holidays here at the Anaheim Ducks. I have to give a shout out to the office because it's looking super festive here. Plenty of decorations around. I think I still need to decorate my own space as well. The Ducks will be taking part in a few community events this week, including a shopping spree today, being Monday, and then a chalk hospital visit on Thursday. I'll have more on the events later this week here on Light the Lamp. You can also catch a few ice rinks around Orange County that the Ducks have partnered with local communities to open for the holidays. Let's take a look at the Ducks road trip that they just completed with games in Nashville, Dallas, Minnesota, and then finishing up in Winnipeg on Sunday. The team was able to grab two points from the road trip, taking both Nashville and Minnesota to overtime, but eventually falling in those games. It has certainly been a rough for them on the road. So let's get to AD's takeaways, beginning with Saturday's game against the Minnesota Wild. It was an early one. The Ducks already played them in early November as well, once back on November 9th, and they fell here at Honda Center 4-1. to A positive, though, they went 2-for-3 on the power play in this game and put up 33 shots on net. The goals coming from Trevor Zegras, Troy Terry, Ryan Strom, and Cam Fowler. Great to see Stromer get on the board as he hasn't for a couple games. Cam Fowler also has been doing very well as of late. He now has 13 points on the season. And I have to give my hat off to John Gibson in the net. He had 45 saves on 49 shots. Too many shots to be facing, but man, did he do a good job in making sure he was able to stop a lot of them. On Sunday, the Ducks flew up to Winnipeg for another early game, although they did fall in this one 5-2. Anthony Stolarz got the start in net for the team. I liked what we saw early from the group in this game. They came out really strong in the first period, going up 2-0 thanks to a goal from Silverberg and Brett Leeson putting up a goal in the second period, that 2-0 lead. But the Jets were able to fight back and tied it by the end of the second period. Now the Ducks went 0 for 3 on the power play. Not necessarily what you want to see, but they were able to limit the Jets to only one power play goal on four opportunities in this game. It's just the ongoing conversation of special teams. That has really been one of the biggest stories this season so far, and just an ever-changing area for Anaheim on the ice. They were not able to find a way to get back in the game once Winnipeg took the lead in the third period. The Jets are just really impressive this season. I've already noted that in a few episodes. Connor Hallibuck getting his 11th win so far in the net and just looking in top form for Winnipeg. Now the Ducks fall to 2-11-2 on the road and are on a six-game skid right now. But the team is back at home on Tuesday night this week when they host the Carolina Hurricanes for a 7 p.m. game and also celebrate Star Wars night. 
The team will additionally be lighting the Jack Daniels barrel tree outside Honda Center. Make sure to get here early if you're planning to come to that game. And if not, you can listen to it right here on DuckStream. The Hurricanes currently sit with 33 points right now and are second in the Metropolitan Division right behind the New Jersey Devils. As of today, that being Monday, they played a lot of overtime games in the end of November, and the record sits at 5-1-4 in, in their last 10 games. Carolina is one of the more well-rounded teams in the NHL. High expectations coming into the season. They're really strong on the defensive end as well as being able to put pucks on net. A team that is potentially competitive for the Cup. They currently have seven players that are in double digits for points so far, and they've got a couple goalies that they've been rotating in the back, three of them to be specific. Now, the Ducks will also be at home on Friday this week when they host the San Jose Sharks. It's time to go coast to coast to hear some of the best goal calls from around the NHL from games over the weekend. Beginning with the Dallas Stars and Minnesota Wild on Sunday, Minnesota was able to squeak out this win Six to five in the shootout, but they did have to recover after giving up a four gold lead to the Dallas Stars. Rupe Hints was also a big part of this game. He had a hat trick for Dallas as a part of their comeback, but it was Frederick Goudreau who had the shootout winner for Minnesota, lifting the puck up over the pads of Scott Wedgwood. You can hear the call now from Wilds Joe O'Donnell. The game on the stick of the Wilds, Freddie Goudreau. He's one for three in shootouts this year. Bottom of round three, shootout tied at two, game tied at five. Freddie Goudreau picks up the puck from left to right on your radio dial. He'll charge his way in, right circle, on his backhand, forehand to his backhand. He scores! Freddie Goudreau on the backhand, went upstairs on the stick side of Wedgwood, and the Wild escape out of Dallas with the two points. They win the shootout. Three to two, they take the game six to five. The Washington Capitals and Calgary Flames faced off on Saturday with Calgary taking a five to two win at home and sporting their rib. The Washington Capitals and Calgary Flames faced off on Saturday with Calgary getting a five to two win at home and sporting their reverse retro jerseys. Adam Ruzica had a three-point night, including an impressive goal in the third period when he found himself behind both Capitals defensemen. Calgary finds himself in the middle of the Pacific right now with 25 points. Listen to the call from Sportsnet 960's Derek Wills. Anderson will take over in behind the net. Bank it off the boards to Backlund. Backlund flips it ahead. Ruzicka's got a break. He walks in, shoots, and scores! on a breakaway, snaps the puck past Charlie Lindgren and equals his career high for points in a game. He's got three, and the Flames have a 3-1 to one lead. Two teams that have been battling in the Atlantic Division right now, the Toronto Maple Leafs and Tampa Bay Lightning facing off on Saturday. Toronto currently leading in the standings by five points. This game would take overtime to decide a winner, and the one to close it out, Alex Kalorn. He picked off a pass and worked his way down the ice with Anthony Sorelli before Kalorn was able to put the winner past Matt Murray in the net for Toronto. David Mishkin has the call from Amelie Arena. Matthews right point. A pass stolen by Alex Kalorn. No counter. 
Matthews getting back defensively two on two. Here's Sorelli across the blue line, right circle, Kalorn. He shoots, score! Kalorn! Kalorn just shot it past Matt Murray! And the Lightning win it! Four to three in overtime! Now Toronto has a big game on Tuesday this week when they face off against the Dallas Stars. It'll be a battle of Jason Robertson and Mitch Marner, two absolute stars right now playing their best hockey. The final goal call from the NHL over the weekend, the Pittsburgh Penguins and St. Louis Blues battling on Saturday. A big 6-2 win for the Penguins and a big day for Kasperi Kapanen, who netted a hat trick in this win. Things have been looking up for Pittsburgh as they're now 7-2-1 in their past 10 games after having a slump early on this season. A lot of contributions from across the roster in this game. Brian Rust having four points. Jason Zucker having three points. Kapanen, as I mentioned, three-point night for him. And Evgeny Malkin, three points as well. Great to see that for the Penguins in this one. Josh Getzoff has the radio call for Pittsburgh. Back over to Kapanen, right point. Feeds Joseph, center point. Left side for Rust in the slot. Zucker back to Rust. Left circle, throws it in front. Deflects in, they score! And Kasperi Kapanen puts it in the back of the net. It's a hattie for Cappy. And a PPG for PGH. The hats fly as the Penguins take a 5-2 lead. A couple of last pieces of NHL news this week. Patrick Kane became the 50th player all time to hit the milestone of 1,200 career points over the weekend. He had a three-point game against the Rangers on Saturday. The three stars of the week for the NHL was announced today, that being Monday. And those are Connor McDavid being the first, Dylan Cousins from Buffalo being number two, and Jason Robertson at number three. McDavid had 11 points in four games, and they were all multi-point performances. Not really a surprise coming from a stud like him. Next up, Dylan Cousins with the Sabres, nine points in his four appearances. And Robertson, five goals in three games. And we saw that when the Ducks played the Stars last week when he netted his third career hat trick in the NHL. Now to hear more on the perspective from the national angle, Pierre Lebrun joined Light the Lamp today. We talked through where the Ducks are at right now, as well as some other teams around the NHL. Plus, I found out why he's a Dallas Cowboys fan. Listen in in this next segment. Joining us now on Light the Lamp is TSN Hockey Insider and Senior NHL Columnist for The Athletic, Pierre Lebrun. Pierre, great to have you for the first time here on DuckStream. How are you doing? I'm all right. I'm honored to be on. Thanks for, uh, thanks for reaching out and, uh, and thinking of me. And uh, I'm curious to find out what we're going to talk about here. <laughs> Hopefully not the Duck special teams. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Maybe we'll get into that a little bit later. <laughs> So let's let's start a little bit with you. And um, obviously you have a very extensive background covering hockey for a very long number of years. But I'm curious, did you foresee yourself growing into the type of role that you have now, uh, you know, working as an insider and, uh, you know, getting to that that national level covering such a wide scape of topics? Yeah, I don't know for sure about the insider part, and and I didn't come up with that name, by the way. It's it's what they call those of us who work on trades and so on. But um, I will tell you that, boy, um, um, 
I know that my dad uh, found scrapbooks years ago of me writing about the NHL when I was eight or nine years old and uh, and had my take on games and trades. And I mean, I, since the day that I could think of what it would mean to try to make a living in this world, it was always about covering the NHL. Like a complete straight vision of what I was going to try to do. That's why I went to journals school. I was always focused on wanting to cover hockey and, uh, and I, you know, pulled it off. And, um, so yes, in one, in, in one way, it's always what I wanted to do, but whether or not it was actually going to become sort of this more niche part of the industry, uh, you know, the insider part, I can't say that I even knew what that meant when I was young, but, uh, but it's been fun ride. This is year 28 covering the NHL. Uh, time flies. Now, did you play hockey at all growing up? I did. Yeah, yeah. Not very good. <laughs> I'm on this side of the uh, of the equation. Uh, no, I played absolutely eight days a week, as they say. Uh, I played. I I, I refed. I coached. Uh, you know, I grew up in a very small town in northern Ontario called Hearst, which is way north of Toronto, uh, six and a half northwest six and a half hours northwest of toronto mm. uh which for someone from california you're, you're good you know you're probably wondering where, where the heck that is well it is pretty far up north and so my point being that especially growing up there in the 1980s uh uh hockey was a very common avenue in in, in a winter town and uh and i'm glad that i took to it because uh, obviously it, it paved the way for what i do today now, one of the big parts of your job, I know, is building relationships in this industry. Obviously, a lot of years being able to do that. Uh, how have you been able to, you know, sustain relationships in terms of, you know, you're you're writing, you're talking about these teams and GMs and things like that, um, but you're able to maintain those relationships too. Yeah, you know, that's a, that's really at the heart of it all. Mm -hmm. You know. That is the question. And, uh, you know, I think that, you know, I've always uh, tried to obviously gain the trust of, uh, of people around the game that run teams, that coach teams, that obviously play in the NHL. You know, I'm not one that's ever gone out and not, I'm not trying to embarrass anyone. I'm not trying to get someone, you know, but uh, I also am striving to find out the truth and find out why things are happening. And, and so you find, try to find that balance where, you understand there, there are times you have to report some tough things and things that maybe you won't make people that you know happy with you. You know that you're doing it in a fair manner. And I think over the years, uh, people I've heard have felt that I've done that in a fair manner. And that has allowed me to continue to have a pretty good relationship. Can't please everyone, but, uh, <laughs> but for the most part, I think that's really what it's been about is, is fostering and maintaining that trust in those relationships that you have with people uh, on all 32 teams. For a lot of people that don't know, the hockey community is very close in terms of everyone that works in it. And, you know, it, it's just such a special culture. Um, what is it like, you know, having relationships with other insiders and people that you've worked with over the years, too? Yeah, you know, I will say that it's interesting when you hear stories from other sports. I've only covered hockey, really. I mm -hmm. mean, when I was younger at the Canadian Press National News Agency, I did cover a bit of golf, a bit of baseball, but really I've not known anything else. But you do hear stories that 
Um, not everyone gets along like we do in the hockey media, and we generally really do. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, we that's sound like a final or the star game or the draft. You'll see a lot of different media members actually going out of their way to want to hang out once they're done their work for the day, even though they are media members who compete with each other um, and try to uh, each other with stories. But there is actually uh, a pretty close knit feel to to uh, the hockey media there always has been now again like i said earlier there are exceptions to that let's not uh, be naive but in general i will tell you that my experience is a when i was a young person breaking in being uh, really welcomed by my older peers a lot of the mentors who showed me the ropes and um, and you know i've tried to pass that along mm-hmm. over the years and i hope i have to to younger media and i think I think that is part of my reputation, I hope. But, um, and, and maybe it's because we are overall a smaller group in, in North America compared to other sports. But uh, but I will tell you that generally speaking, um, you know, uh, hockey media get along really well together and, mm-hmm. and enjoy, you know, enjoy talking hockey and enjoy spending time together when we see each other. Who were some of those mentors for you when you were getting into the industry? Yeah. I mean, a lot of them. I feel like I'm going to forget some people here, but um, uh, certainly, uh, actually, Neil Stevens, uh, who passed away this past year, was a very close mentor to me uh, at the Canadian Press. He was a fantastic writer. He really uh, is in the Hockey Hall of Fame, and um, he literally just showed me how it's done and, and showed me how to think outside the box, and I'll forever be. Yeah, indebted to Neil uh, Campbell, who's retired now, a uh, longtime national columnist uh, up in Vancouver. Cam and I did a lot of road trips together over the years. And, uh, you know, the old work hard, play hard, which I was at play there. We, <laughs> we enjoyed the, each other's company. And, and boy, what a fantastic columnist and incredible sense of what story was. And I learned a lot from uh, from Cam over the years, for sure, and uh, and there are many more. Like I said, I'm omitting some names here, but for the point of brevity here, those are two names that are at the forefront for me. Well, let's talk a little bit of hockey now, and specifically with the Ducks. Uh, you know, they're in their midst of a rebuild. It's been a tough season here in Anaheim. What have you thought about where the team stands right now? You know, it is tough. Right now, I think if you're a Ducks fan, because uh, yeah, it's one thing to rebuild, but I'm sure the other one is to compete. And I think there are nights where it's a little tougher than what you would expect. I think the rebuild is is absolutely headed in the right direction when you look at the type of players that they're building around. Um, you know, I think on the ice right now, one thing that's it's difficult to compete when you're, you know, as we tape this, I think 31st on the power play, 32nd on the penalty kill. That's just speed that's going to make it tough every night to try and, and win games. But I know from the, I did an interview with Pat Verbeek, uh, the Ducks GM earlier this season when the Ducks were in New York, um, and it was that the number one priority while he was hoping to, to be a competitive team. Clearly what trumped that, though, was uh, that the development of the young core was on, was on the right path. Mm-hmm. And, that, and I think that is happening. Now, it's not easy in, in these circumstances because losing creates, uh, a, a, you know, a crack in confidence. Uh, you have to really protect the culture of a team when you're, you're losing like the Ducks are right now. But 
again, I think there there are the right around this to do that leading that for me. But but it is hard. And the idea that like I think it's fantasy when people sit back and just say, well, it doesn't matter because if the Ducks win the lottery and get Connor Bedard, all is well. And there's no question, whichever team ends up with Connor Bedard in the draft next June is going to absolutely uh, be getting a generational talent. But it's not as simple as saying who cares if the team wins or loses because that can have a lasting effect on your younger players in terms of the kind of culture that can create. You know, I think it's something that, for example, really um, hurt the Buffalo Sabres for nearly a decade. It hurt the Edmonton Oilers for a long time before the Oilers got out of it, um, which is to say that, you know, winning does matter, even when you're rebuilding mm-hmm. in terms of type of culture and habits and, and, and work ethic and everything that goes around being a good NHL franchise. So those are things to think about, I think, as the Ducks try to find uh, their way here. And Pat Verbeek has acquired some assets in this process so far. In what ways have you seen him grow the value of this team already? Well, I tell you one thing that really right out of the gates last season after he got hired, and he's barely been there that long, but you know, he went to his pending unrestricted free agents and Hampus Lindholm and Josh Manson and Ricardo Raquel and had a very clear line communication with all three of them as to what was coming before the trade deadline. Mm-hmm. And in the case of Hampus Lindholm, it was, I'm going to try to sign you, but if we can't, you know, find a reasonable place in terms of what we can live with extension wise, then I am going to trade you. And it was pretty clear that Josh Manson and Carver Kelly was coming too. And I love that honesty, I love that approach from a GM. It's funny when I asked for Beak about that, he talked about how he used to be a player. Mm-hmm. He didn't appreciate not getting the straight goods from management when he was a player. And, and, and you know, most often than not, he did as a player, to be clarified. But, but he always appreciated when he had uh, honesty from management. Uh, and so he always said to himself, I think I'll do the same when I'm a GM for, for my players. And so he traded all three, as we know. <laughs> and, and, and because that's what was the right thing to do at this point for the building of this team. And what I would tell you is that Pat Verbeek's the first time GM, even though he's been around a long time. Mm-hmm. Sometimes in my experience, people who are first time GMs, that's the hardest thing for them to get used to doing is making that really tough decision within your first few months of being a GM with some players that you, re- you really like that have to trade. And, and I thought he handled that really well. And I think that has set the tone now for whatever decision he has to make with this roster, people know that he's come, coming at it from um, a point of honesty and yet a point of necessity. And, and I think that's the only thing you can ask for when you're a player. So in terms of telling fans here in Anaheim, why should they be patient with this process, even though this season, you know, in particular is really just, it's a lot of growing pains. Yeah. I mean, for one, got to give Verbeek uh, some time to prove himself. He's mm-hmm. he's not even been on the job for a year, so that seems like the obvious thing to say. But that would be number one. Uh, I mean, number two, I, I think it's pretty clear that you got some pretty special players and Trevor Zegers and, and Troy Terry. Uh, obviously, Jamie Drysdale's injured right now. We wish him the best in his recovery, but the pieces are already there. Now you got to build around them. Mm-hmm. Um, so there are lots of reasons that I think you, you want to stick. If you're a Bucks fan, 
Um, and I would also tell you there's some examples right now of teams that have gone through this and it's been difficult that are coming out of it, showing some pretty uh, exciting hints of what's to come. Uh, New Jersey's the best example and the rebuild took quite a while. And to the point where a year ago, Devils fans were pretty frustrated that that wasn't the year, that the jumping off point wasn't last year, but it's finally happening now. And, and they're a pretty exciting team to watch. And I think the Detroit Red Wings, of course, where Pat Verbeek worked with Steve Eisenman, uh, the Red Wings have had a very organic rebuild from the ground up, and that's showing promising signs uh, this year. So those are just some examples, I think, that you can draw some pretty straight lines from what the Ducks are attempting to do here. Um, that should give you hope as a Ducks fan. On the flip side, you know, there are no guarantees in rebuilds. And one rebuild that a lot of people thought would be right there with New Jersey and Detroit this year in terms of taking a step is the Ottawa Senators, mm-hmm. who have a lot of young talent, um, but uh, are near last place again. Mm-hmm. And their fan base is quite irate. And it just goes to show you that, and I still think that's a team that's on the rise, by the way, but it's not a linear thing sometimes in terms of when when that rebuild takes that next step. That's the sometimes a tough thing to digest if you're a fan of that team. And you talked about New Jersey a little bit just now, but do you think that they are going to be able to sustain the success that they've had already this season throughout the rest of the year? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, I don't know about first place, (laughs) (laughs) Um, but uh, I do think they're a playoff team. Um, You know, even when they were a 63-point team a year ago, which was pretty miserable, um, the underlying numbers suggested that they should have been better than they were, but they got completely undone by bad goaltending. And in their case, not just shaky goaltending, but the fact they used seven different goalies. Mm-hmm. Uh, they had injuries galore, et cetera. Um, so the thought coming into the year was that, one, their core would take another step. The underlying numbers were already promising to some degree. Could they just get league average goaltending? Not great goaltending, just... Mm-hmm. Know, give us some of the norm and they've actually got better than than uh, average goaltending the team has taken a step um and and you know they've really taken off again i think there'll be some leveling off but i think they're a playoff team and honestly if you would have spoken to people at the start of the year about being a playoff team they would have been pretty darn happy with that prediction and uh, i think that's where they're headed when you look at some of these other teams around the NHL right now, is there any other teams that jump out to you in terms of some that you've been impressed with um, so far? Yeah, I would say the Winnipeg Jets. Let's use a team that uh, the great team of Solani shared both uh, place in his heart with Anaheim <laughs> and Winnipeg. Um, you know, I think a lot of people weren't sure what to make of the Jets coming into this year. I kind of thought they'd be a bubble team way better than that right now. Mm-hmm. Um and a lot of it was based on uh, you know some of what we saw last year, both on and off the ice. Uh, but it's been so positive so far. First of all, they bring in Rick Bonus as head coach. Players have really responded to him. You know, they took the C off. Like, we see that every day, uh, you know. And, and when you do see it, that's quite a story to take the captaincy away from a player. But he he's handled himself like a total pro from all accounts and, and is still a mentor to a lot of young players in that team. Um, Connor Hellebuck is back to being Connor Hellebuck, the Vesna guy. Yep. And, and, uh, you know, we're at an age in, in this sport, we have so much data and so much information that, that we can, uh, digest. Yet some things are so simple 
just like they were a hundred years ago, which is if their goalie's really good, that's going to be pretty good for your hockey team. <laughs> Connor Hellebuck, you know, as we take this, uh, has a 931 save percentage and uh, one of the league leaders and, you know, goes from there. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know what the rest of the season, you know, what it looks like for the Winnipeg Jets, but there's clearly uh, a bounce back here with this team, which not too long ago, just a few years ago, a lot of people felt was a real contender. So they've, they've been a, they've been a really nice story. A guy that the ducks just faced Jason Robertson. He's just been outstanding so far right now, leading in goals. How impressed have you been with him so far? I mean, (laughs) I don't know. I don't even know if the words are in my vocabulary. I mean, (laughs) you know, I was talking to someone recently who was, you know, watching them practice and just watching out. He's the last guy off the ice every time, working on a shot, working on a shot. Doesn't seem to be enough practice time in that young man's life. And, you know, there's a great lesson in that. You know, this guy wasn't, you know, a top five overall pick, right? I mean, I mean, uh, he's had to keep proving people wrong. And, mm-hmm. and but, but what really comes out is his work ethic on top of his obvious talent. But um, he really works at his craft. And, um, when you hear those behind the scenes stories about a player having this kind of success, it, it, it makes sense because mm-hmm. those things correlate. You know, his desire clearly to be that, you know, among the elite players in the league. And I mean, listen, we're we're in December and it's between him and Connor McDavid right now for the Rock Richard goal scoring uh, race. And uh, that's pretty elite company. Mm-hmm. And he's uh and, and here's the thing, I think he's scratching the surface. Mm-hmm. Is there, there's more to come here from, from Jason Robertson and stars and our uh, bonafide Stanley Cup contenders. So lots of positive stories there if you're a Dallas Stars fan. Are there any other valuable names on the market as the season goes along that stand out to you? Yeah, well, I mean, you know, the trade deadline in the NHL, I think that's what you're asking about, right, Is, is mm-hmm. has really become in the cap era, more about players on expiring deals as opposed to what I call traditional hockey deals. Um, The the traditional hockey deals, guys under contract seem to be more for June now, uh, which we've seen. So we're really looking at rentals and among the rentals, I don't know if it could be a bigger name than Patrick Kane, who's going to get to the Hockey Hall of Fame one day, but his deal is expiring. Uh, The Blackhawks, uh, are doing a very obvious tank job right now, trying to get in those lottery sweepstakes. And, um, and I don't think they're going to resign Patrick Kane. So here's what's interesting is that he controls his fate completely. He has a 100% no movement clause, as most people know. Mm-hmm. First of all, he has to decide still if he wants to get dealt. And that has not been decided, by the way. So just file that one away. But if he gets tired of all this losing, you know, and he decides that, you know, essentially where they'd like to go. And and, and there's some recent history here. Pat Brisson was also the agent, is also the agent for Claude Giroux, who a year ago also had a full no-trade clause and basically handpicked the Florida Panthers. And, and that's where he got dealt from the Philadelphia Flyers. And the reason that's important to note is that as big a name as Patrick Kane is, I mean, that would be an unreal addition for the rest of the season for whatever team ends up with him. Mm-hmm. He's not going to generate that much of a return, in my opinion, just like through trade, because he's, he's, you know, he's telling his team, the Chicago Blackhawks, I, I, I'm going to just this team, or maybe two teams. I doubt they're going to give a list of teams to Chicago to work with. 
which will mitigate the return. And secondly, the fact that he's a $10.5 million player right now in terms of his cap, it, the Hawks are definitely going to have to eat part of that to have a contender, all contenders are right at the cap. So all those factors within this, you're talking about a major addition and yet a pretty quiet return, I think, uh, which makes these deals inter- interesting in the cap era. But, um, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens there. But that's obviously the name at the top of the list. Pierre Lebrun, so great to have you join us here on Duck Stream. Uh, we'll have to have you back sometime soon. All right, sure. And as long as I can keep wearing my Dallas Cowboys hat, then, uh, then I'll be back. <laughs> Why are you a Cowboys fan out of curiosity? Oh, that's a, that's a story. Okay, well, I'll, I'll, I'll spend a minute on it. Um, <laughs> I'll just say, again, I grew up in, in Canada, Northern mm-hmm. Ontario. So we don't have NFL teams up here. Mm-hmm. We have CFL. And my dad was a big CFL fan playing football. Uh, my dad, uh, who's still alive, hates, hates NFL, loves the CFL. And um, when I was nine years old, he put on a Monday Night Football game, NFL. And the third or fourth play from scrimmage that I ever saw uh, was uh, Tony Dorsett, 99 yards on Monday Night Football with Howard Cosell on the call. And I remember telling my dad, you know, what is this team with the star on the helmet? And my dad said, they're the Dallas Cowboys. Everyone hates them. <laughs> and I was so in that moment. Literally, I had my mother order me books through the library to read about the history of the Cowboys. And unfortunately, uh, <laughs> I became a Cowboys fan in the 80s. Mm-hmm. Not the 70s, or I didn't hook on in the 90s. I, I hooked on in the one decade where they didn't win a Super Bowl at the time. But it was still <laughs> a lifelong uh, addiction, I would actually call it, uh, between me and the Dallas Cowboys. So there you go. Well, you'll have to talk to Troy Terry about it, because that is his favorite team, too. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> Filing that away. Did not know that. <laughs> Make sure to next time you t- say hi to him. <laughs> Will do. All right. Thank you again. A quick thank you and shout out to my producer, Stefan Bell, for helping me out with that interview, as he does for all the ones that you hear on Light the Lamp. It's time for my final quack for this episode, where I share my last thoughts before the end of the show. Now, on Saturday, I went to my friend's birthday party, and when we had the cake, they brought out spoons to eat the cake with. So I took to Twitter and shared my thoughts on my experience so far in California that people seem to eat their cake here with spoons. That was never the case for me growing up. I was always a fork girl, maybe a spork as well. I got a little bit of pushback from a lot of Ducks fans about the spoon take with California, so I'm curious. Do you eat your cake with spoons or forks? It seems like it might be person to person, but since it created a little bit of buzz on my Twitter over the weekend, I'm curious to hear from you guys. You can tweet at me at Alexis Downey underscore. Thank you for listening to Light the Lamp. I am Alexis Downey. Come back again for more hockey talk on Duckstream this week. This is an Anaheim Ducks original production on Duckstream.